Section 23 of Irish Fairy Tales by James Stevens. The Boyhood of Fune, Chapter 11. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Fano Jahangiri. Irish Fairy Tales by James Stevens. He had received all that he could get from Finnegas, whose education was finished and the time had come to test it, and to try all else that he had of mind and body. He bade farewell to the gentle poet and set out for Tara of the Kings. It was some hain-tide, and the feast of Tara was being held, at which all that was wise or skillful or well-born in Ireland were gathered together. This is how Tara was when Tara was. There was the high king's palace with its fortification. Without it was another fortification enclosing the four minor palaces, each of which was maintained by one of the four provincial kings. Without that again was the great banqueting hall, and around it and enclosing all of the sacred hill in its gigantic bound ran the main outer ramparts of Tara. From it, the center of Ireland, four great roads went north, south, east, and west, and along these roads from the top and the bottom, and the two sides of Ireland, there moved for weeks before Samhain an endless stream of passengers. Here a gay band went carrying rich treasure to decorate the pavilion of a monster lord. On another road a vat of seasoned yew, monstrous as a house on wheels and drawn by a hundred laborious oxen, came bumping and juggling the ale that thirsty Connaught princes would drink. On a road again the learned men of Leinster, each with an idea in his hand that would discomfit a northern olive, and make a sudden one gape and fidget, would be marching solemnly, each by a horse that was piled high on the back and wildly at the sides, with clean peeled willow or oaken wands that were carved from the top to the bottom with the ogham signs. The first lines of poems, for it was an offence against wisdom to commit more than initial lines unto writing, the names and dates of kings, the procession of laws of Tara and of the sub-kingdoms, the names of places and their meanings. On the brown stallion ambling peacefully yonder there might go the warring of the gods for two or ten thousand years. This male with the dainty pace and the vicious eye might be sidling under a load of oak and oats in honor of her owner's family, with a few bundles of tales of wonder added in case they might be useful, and perhaps the restive piebald was backing the history of Ireland into a ditch. On such a journey all people spoke together, for all were friends, and no person regarded the weapon in another man's hands other than as an implement to poke a reluctant cow with or to pacify with loud wallops some hoof-proud cold. Into this team and profusion of jolly humanity Fiona slipped, and if his mood had been as bellicose as a wounded boar, he would yet have found no man to quarrel with, and if his eyes had been as sharp as a jealous husband's, he would have found no eye to meet it with calculation, or menace, or fear. For the peace of Ireland was in being, and for six weeks man was neighbor to man, and the nation was the guest of the high king. Fionn went in with the notables. His arrival had been time for the opening day and the great feast of welcome. 
He may have marveled, looking on the bright city with its pillars of gleaming bronze and the roofs that were painted in many colors, so that each house seemed to be covered by the spreading wings of some gigantic and gorgeous bird. But the palaces themselves, mellow with red oak, polished within and without, by the wear and the care of a thousand years, and carved with the patient skill of unending generations of the most famous artists of the most artistic country of the Western world, would have given him much to marvel at also. It must have seemed like a city of dream, a city to catch the heart, when coming over the great plain, Fionn saw Tara of the kings, hauled on its heel as in a hand to gather all the gold of the falling sun, and to restore a brightness as mellow and tender as that universal largest. In the great banqueting hall everything was in order for the feast. The nobles of Ireland with their winsome consorts, the learned and artistic professions represented by the peak of their time, were in place. The artery, corm of the hundred battles, had taken his place on the raised days which commanded the whole of that vast hall. At his right hand, his son, Art, to be afterwards as famous as his famous father, took his seat, and on his left, Golmor Mac Morna, chief of the Fiona of Ireland, had the seat of honor. As the high king took his place, he could see every person who was noted in the land for any reason. He would know everyone who was present, for the fame of all men is sealed at Tara, and behind his chair a herald stood to tell anything the king might not know or had forgotten. Some gave the signal and his guests seated themselves. The time had come for the squires to take their stations behind their masters and mistresses, but for the moment the great room was seated and the doors were held to allow a moment of respect to pass before the servers and squires came in. Looking over his guests, Khan observed that the young man was yet standing. There is a gentleman, he murmured, for whom no seat had been found. We may be sure that the master of banquet blushed at that. And, the king continued, I do not seem to know the young man. Nor did his herald, nor did the unfortunate master, nor did anybody, for the eyes of all were now turned where the kings went. Give me my horn, said the gracious monarch. The horn of a state was put to his hand. Young gentleman, he called to the stranger, I wish to drink to your health and to welcome you to Tara. The young man came forward then, greater shouldered than any mighty man of that gathering, longer and cleaner limbs with his fair curls dancing about his beardless face. The king put the great horn into his hand. Tell me your name, he commanded gently. I am Fionn, the son of Wael, the son of Beshkni, said the youth. And at that saying a touch as of lightning went through the gathering so that each person quivered, and the son of the great murdered captain looked by the king's shoulder into the twinkling eye of gold. But no word was uttered, no movement made except the movement and the utterance of the R3. You are the son of a friend, said the great-hearted monarch. You shall have the seat of a friend. He placed Fionn at the right hand of his own son, Art. End of chapter 11 Recording by Farnu Jahangiri